Welcome to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. You are listening to the conclusion of our Advent series, Hungry in the House of Bread, Fullness, by Rev. Peter Yonker. So we come to the end of our series on the book of Ruth, our, the end of our Advent series, and today's reading is Ruth chapter 4, that's found on page 412 in your pew Bibles, and I think you will hear that as we read this, what started out as a story of emptiness for Ruth and Naomi is now becoming a story of fullness. Now, as I read this today, I'm, it's going to be kind of an annotated reading, which means I'm going to stop in the middle of things just to do some explanation, because some of this is Jewish legal stuff, and, and most of you are not experts on Jewish legal stuff, so I'll, I'll try to help along. Just to remember where we are in the story, Ruth and Boaz have had that sort of tense and wonderful moment on the threshing floor, and they've pledged to each other that they would like to get together, they would like to get married, and Boaz has gone off to the city gate to take care of business, to make, see if they can make this happen. Listen. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Okay, guardian redeemer. That is a Jewish term in a clan, in a Jewish clan. There was a person designated as the guardian redeemer. He was usually a person of standing. And his job was to make sure that if someone in the same clan was down and out, and especially if they lost their land, everybody in Israel was given a a piece of family land. And so long as your name endured, you got to keep that land. The guardian redeemer was supposed to make sure that those people would keep their land so they wouldn't become destitute. So the guardian redeemer comes along. Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. And so he went over and sat down. Boaz took 10 of the elders of the town and said, sit here, and they did so. That's Boaz's constituting a court, in effect. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who's come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of those seated here, in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me, so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and then then I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Now, this may not have been entirely altruistic, okay? He's buying the land from Naomi, so Naomi's getting an influx of cash, which she needs. Um, But for him, the way the Jewish law worked, if you bought a piece of land from a Jewish person at the year of Jubilee, that land would revert to the original owner. So you wouldn't own that land in perpetuity. You'd only own it for a, a limited time. Unless there was no male heir. So if there's no male heir you get to keep the land forever and ever. So this, this is a really nice deal. It looks like a sweet deal because it doesn't look like Naomi and Ruth are going to have any male heirs. So he says, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. Then Boaz said, on the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. Okay. So by law... The guardian redeemer does not have to guarantee an ancestor, does not have to guarantee a male heir to a widow. Um, 
But Boaz is going above and beyond here and is challenging him and saying, you know, you should do right by Ruth and by Naomi, which, of course, if he does provide a male heir, he won't get the land. Now listen to what happens. At this, the guardian redeemer says, "Ah, then I cannot redeem it because it might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Now, in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses that I bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilon, and Malion. I have acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today you are witnesses. And the elders and all the people at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. And the women living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This, then, is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Aminadab, Aminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, Boaz the father of Obed, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David. This is the word of the Lord. The book of Ruth is a great story. It is a wonderful story. And many of you, as we've done this series, have come up and said, oh, we just love this series. We just love the story of Ruth. There are lots of other parts of Scripture that, um, if you read them, they're not sort of immediately accessible. In order for you to be blessed by them, you need a minister or a Bible study leader or someone to sort of explain them and, and then apply them to your lives. But that's not Ruth. I could stand up here, read Ruth from beginning to end, say amen, and sit down, and you would all be blessed, and I wouldn't have to say anything more. Don't get your hopes up. (laughs) I have 20 minutes of material here, and I'm going to use it. But it's a great story. It is a great story. What is it about this story that makes it so great? Why do we like it so much? I think, there's many reasons, but I think one of the main reasons is that we can see ourselves and our lives in the life of Ruth and Naomi. We look at what Ruth and Naomi go to and we say, yes, 
That's life. That's what life feels like. And that's a remarkable thing because this story is 3,000 years old. And in some way, the world that Ruth and Naomi lived in couldn't be more different than our world, right? We live in a technological world, an internet world, a communication world. We don't glean in the fields for our well-being. We don't have things called guardian redeemers, and we certainly don't make legal contracts by taking off our sandals. And yet, we identify with these women, and we feel like we understand what they went through. Why is that? Well, I think that one of the things that makes Ruth so great is that this story is honest about the muddle in the middle. This story is honest about the muddle that is in the middle of all our life. Life is this beautiful roller coaster of beautiful things and terrible things. And when we're in the middle of it, those things all mix together in such a way that they absolutely spin us around so that sometimes we are utterly disoriented. I believe you all understand what I'm talking about when I say that. I also believe that when you're a minister or when you work in a church, you really get a stronger sense of that because, of course, a church office is a place where news of all kinds tends to accumulate. So on a week or on a typical day in my office, I could be sitting in my office with the door open, and in the morning, someone will come by my door and say, rejoice with me, I just got great news. My daughter is finally pregnant. I know she's been trying for years. She's pregnant. I'm going to be a grandpa. Woo-hoo. And then an hour later, someone else comes by my door and says, pray for my son. He says he's not a Christian anymore. He says he doesn't believe I've tried to talk with him about it. I've tried everything. I don't know what to say to him anymore. He just seems angry, and I don't know what to do. And then in the afternoon, someone will come by and say, got my test results back. No cancer. Doctor says I don't have to come back for a year. I'm so happy. woo -hoo. A couple hours later, we just found out that my 70-year-old dad has dementia. My mom is beside herself. We don't know what to do about their living situation. We're distraught. Pray for us. Beautiful things, terrible things, hitting us one after the other, spinning us around to the point where sometimes we're so utterly disoriented we don't know where this is going. The muddle in the middle. And sometimes we're so muddled that we say to ourselves, is this going anywhere? Lord, are you, are you steering this? Are you seeing all this down here? Where are you, Lord? Because we're perplexed and we're tired. Ruth and Naomi, in their story, certainly know about the muddle in the middle. All the beautiful things and all the worst things in life happen to them. Absolutely awful things happen to them. Right? They, they lose the people closest to them in their life. They end up absolutely destitute. They suffer shame. They go through something like depression. All the things that we pray never happens to us and our family happen to them. But then, they also get some of the best things, right? Loyalty, unexpected kindness, friendship, romance, a baby, right? All these things mixed together. And here's 
an interesting thing. In the middle of all that, as Ruth and Naomi try to sort out where God is in the middle of everything that happens to them, how easy would it be for them to identify God's presence? How many times, now that we've been through the whole book, how many times does God speak in the book of Ruth? He does that a lot in the Old Testament, right? He speaks to Moses, and he speaks to Jacob, and he speaks to Abraham. They get visions. They get God's voice from heaven. How many times does the voice of God or a vision or a dream or something show up in Ruth? Zero. No audible voice. No, no visions. What about miracles? Sometimes God sends miracles to show us that he's with us, like manna in the desert or parted seas. Any miracles in Ruth to help these women along? No miracles either. God is the subject of exactly two active verbs in the book of Ruth. Two sentences where God is said to do something. One of those is 1 verse 6, where God makes the barley grow and gives his people food. And the other, I just read, chapter 4, verse 13, and that's where it says that God enables Naomi, or not Naomi, Ruth, to conceive and have a baby. Okay? So, so the barley and the baby, those are the two things that God does in this story. And notice, they are God using natural processes, right? They're not supernatural things. They're not miracles. They're natural processes. They're exactly the sort of things that if you're depressed or you're in a cynical mood, you could look at those things and say, I don't see God there. Barley grows every spring. God's not in that. How like us that is also. There's some of us here whom God has blessed with an audible voice or a vision or a special dream. There's people like that in this room. The Lord bless you. How wonderful for you. There's others in this room who've had miracles in your life, personal miracles that you can hold on to in your time of need. That's great too. Wonderful. But most of us, most of us, most of us are just like Ruth and Naomi. We soldier through with our eyes on God with no miracles and no audible voices to stain us. How do we keep going? Ruth has wisdom for us there too. And her wisdom, the wisdom of this book is this. In the middle of the muddle, keep your eyes on the fullness of the finish. In the middle of the muddle, we keep going when we keep our eyes on the fullness of the finish. We've got to talk about the amazing and wonderful and surprising end of the book of Ruth. Because really, up till verse 17 of our chapter, Ruth has been one kind of story, but in verse 17, it becomes a completely different kind of story. Okay? Up till verse 17... The story of Ruth just seems like a small domestic story confined to one face and time, right? It's really a sort of a human story, a can-do story. Two plucky women who face adversity and who keep going. They stay faithful to one another. They work hard in the fields. They meet on the threshing floor and bam, they had a baby. It's like a Hallmark movie, okay? Which are fine, okay? Don't, I don't want any texts or emails. But it is, right? It's just a human story. It's just a human story of human perseverance. And those are wonderful stories. We like those stories. If this were a movie, 
at the point where Naomi takes the baby in her arms and starts smiling, and there's Ruth and Boaz smiling behind her, we think, oh, there we go, that's the end of the story. And we'd expect the voiceover to say, and Ruth and Boaz lived happily ever after, and the credits roll, and we go home. But it's not the end of the story. In verse 17, out of nowhere, five Hebrew words in the original text, just five Hebrew words, the frame of this story changes completely. The narrator says, oh, and by the way, that little baby was the father of Jesse, who was the father of David, the great king of Israel. And all of a sudden, the frame changes. Now we're not just in this little room in Bethlehem. All of a sudden, our view is as wide as redemptive history. And you say, what? That little baby is David's grandpa? Ruth is David's great-grandma? This is a covenant story? That little baby is the ancestor of Jesus Christ, my Lord? That baby that is comforting Naomi is the ancestor of the one who is my only comfort in life and in death and the hope of the entire world? Blows the story wide open. What is this like? It's like someone came up to you and said, hey, I, I got a great story about a couple Dutch people who lived in the Netherlands during World War II. There was this young couple, man, and they were resilient. The Nazis were occupying and there was no food and it was hard times, but they kept going and they loved each other. And they didn't just love each other, they blessed their neighbors. There were a whole bunch of lives saved because of how faithful they were. They were just great people. And you say, oh, wow, they do sound wonderful. And then the person says, oh, and by the way, that was your grandma and grandpa. Obed was the father of Jesse, who was the father of David. It wasn't just the life of Ruth and Naomi on the line in the fields of Bethlehem. It was your life on the line in the fields of Bethlehem. It was my life on the line in the fields of Bethlehem. It wasn't just Naomi's tears that were being dried. It was my tears and your tears. And it wasn't just her emptiness being filled. It was our emptiness filled by the one who is the fullness of God. The muddle in the middle. When you take this perspective, when you see it from the end, the fullness, you realize that God was never absent from this story. The narrator may not have mentioned him, he may be only the subject of two active verbs, but this was God's story from beginning to end. It was God who guided them down the road from Moab to Bethlehem. It was God in the fields. It was God who brought them together, Ruth and Boaz. It was God who made this baby. It was God sustaining them from one end of their story to the other, taking their tragedy and bending it towards his light. Lord, this was you all along. It was always your story. When we are in the muddle in the middle, we lose track of the direction. In the ups and the downs, we feel like, where is this going? This isn't going anywhere. But I promise you that at your ending, suddenly, more quickly even than five Hebrew words, in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, the veil will be lifted.
and the frame of your life will change completely. And you will see Christ face to face, and you will say, Lord, it was you all along. Through all the spinning, through all the ups and downs, it was your story all along. Until that day, as you continue to muddle through, keep your eyes on the child in the manger. Because that baby is the fullness of the finish coming into the middle of our muddle, right? He's the author and finisher of our faith. He's the finish line. He is the fullness of him who fills all things, Colossians 1 verse 19. The fullness of the finish comes into the middle of our muddle and he takes hold of our life and he protects it and he steers it and he bends all our tragedies towards his light. So let your heart prepare him room and let heaven and nature sing. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this wonderful story that turns out not to just be a story of long ago, but a story of right now. And that the same providential power and grace that saved these two women is working in our life and in the middle of our tragedies and in the middle of our triumphs. Lord, as we continue to muddle through, surround us with your love, surround us with your grace, and let us help us in the middle of the storms to keep our eyes on you so that we may be hopeful and joyful people. In Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.